this this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. So welcome to episode five of season one, Perfect Organism, our alien saga podcast. And I'm your host, Jamie, and I am Peter. Welcome. So we just wanted to, um, this episode, we wanted to kind of do a roundup of all the news about Alien 5, which we've discovered isn't going to be called Alien 5. But before we do, uh, someone, uh, a fan, um, uh, someone who had liked our Facebook page mentioned that we missed a lot of science fiction films, which we know we did. And there's a lot that we will miss. Um, We wanted to really talk about the films that were important to us. Obviously, I had seen many more films that I really loved that you hadn't seen, Pete. Um, but we're not oh, yeah. gonna, we're not going to get to everything. But um, I, I know that there was a couple that I didn't mention, like Gattaca. I don't know if you've seen Gattaca, but um, that is a pretty good one. I like that one. Yeah. That's uh, late nineties, I think. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It was just really, really singular. A really great, a great uh, entry into the science fiction lore. But uh, yeah, there's only there's only so much that we can talk about um, within the time constraints of our show, like you were mentioning, and. Um, on top of that, I feel like it would be a better service to the people listening if we were able to to elaborate our full opinions on something yeah. in opposition to just, you know, I saw that movie once yeah. and I liked it, but blah, blah, blah. I mean, something like Blade Runner, you obviously have to watch two or three times to fully, quote unquote, understand it, you know? For sure, for sure. And I mean, even even talking about Blade Runner, I mean, I watching it again like I did uh, last week or whatever, I picked up things that I never even got the first time. The first ten times I'd seen the film, you know? Exactly. Um, I, I think there's just so much to take in the first time that it's really when you go back and watch a film... Uh, the, the second or third time or the ninth or tenth time that you really, really pick up on things. And I think a great hallmark of awesome science fiction is the fact that there's always something new you can pick up on. I mean, I've easily seen Alien and Aliens a hundred times each. Absolutely. Me too. But each time I watch it, there's something new to observe. Like, oh, I didn't look down this hallway or... I didn't notice the facial facial expression on this character, and there's always something new, and I think that's what good science fiction does. Yeah. Speaking of something new in terms of Aliens, I watched the special edition or the the director's cut of Aliens, and I know uh, James James Cameron when he introduced it, um, he introduced it as Forty Miles of Bad Road, which I think would be a great name for a podcast too. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I, I I find that the acting and the the uh, exposition in the uh, extended edition or the special edition of Aliens, it almost felt like good good TV, not as well acted as uh, with the theatrical edition. I wasn't buying the performances like I bought the performances in the theatrical, edi- theatrical edition. Now, maybe it's just because I'm from unfamiliar with it, um, and it doesn't feel as as comfortable as the rest of it that I know so well. But I don't know, there's just some type of disconnect that I have with that material. Not that it's bad material at all, it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's because there's nobody that we know, there's no real character development, um, and then you have Newt's um, family exploring the derelict and what happens there. Um, But yeah, I don't don't know if you feel the same way, but... 
I mean, I do feel that it was a little heavy-handed, just that, and I can see why they'd cut that out yeah. um, at, the, at the, you know, beginning of the film, because it just kind of takes away from Ripley, because Alien is Ripley's story, yeah. but I think at the same time, the counterpoint in that is that it's a nice contrast between uh, the humanity of Ripley and her story, and then it's like, okay, these are normal people, and they confront the alien, so once again... Normal people just doing their jobs are encountering this interstellar extraterrestrial parasite. Yeah. And it just fucks everybody's day up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about uh, the news. There's been quite a bit of news, some kind of not so news, but sort of news. Um, there's a lot. But news nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. So the first um, thing is what really happened first was the Instagram account. Michael Bean's supposed Instagram account announcing uh, his official involvement with the Alien 5 film, um, Neil Blomkamp's Alien, um, and hinting at um, that it would come out 2017, that uh, he couldn't make it to a certain event because of pre-production or production, and production would start this fall. Um, Very interesting things. Um, Yeah. I did get the chance to look at his quote-unquote official Instagram account yeah. before uh, it got um, taken down. As did I, and yes. I must, I must say, if that was not an official account, then whoever was running it surely has done their homework on uh, Michael Bean because they they type exactly like, you know, he would speak yeah. in an interview. And there's some really candid photos of him in there, but supposedly... Uh, some, I think somebody on Wayland Utani board mentioned that uh, his wife, he doesn't have a wife, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. His, uh, his quote-unquote wife Debunked confirmed it. that that was not him, but he's not married. He has a girlfriend. Interesting. Okay. Now, so, I think yeah, that knows? that was true. I think that the Instagram account, it was official, and I think he spilled some beans that he didn't mean to spill. Um Michael Bean has been um, essentially since I don't know what his last big mainstream film was. It was probably uh, James a James Cameron film. It might have been uh, Terminator Two or The Abyss. I think it was Term. No, yeah, I think it was Terminator Two. His last uh, big film uh, was probably either Tombstone or Terminator Two. Yeah, but he was edited out of the theatrical cut of Two. Yes, he was, and I know he's in the special edition. But it would make sense to me that Michael Bean, in his excitement to kind of get back to the world of aliens, but he's you know he's going to be in a big mainstream blockbuster film. Um, and in my excitement, I might talk about that too. Um, so I think the information was official. Now there were some con- some people I think on AVP's AVP Galaxy's group, someone said something that. He mentioned something about April, but some dates didn't match up. But I couldn't really understand what they were talking about. There's, there's always going to be cork sniffers with uh, information regarding <laughs> new. It's uh, a great term. N- oh yeah, I, I love it. Cork sniffers. Um, there's always <laughs> going to be people like that when it comes to new information. Like, it's as if some people almost want this exciting news to be false, but it. But, like, they're so eager to just jump the gun and be like, you know, I think this is false, and here's why. Yeah. But but I think part of the the hype and the excitement 
and just everything that leads up to all these big blockbuster films is just, um, you know, how it turns over in your mind when you read all these rumors and news. You kind of create the film inside your head before it comes out. Oh, for sure. And when you see it, it's it's just, it's glorious. Sometimes, sometimes not. And I think really, I mean, if I think about the whole Michael Bean thing and Instagram, Fox didn't come out and deny any of it. No one did. Neil Blomkamp no, didn't. they've been pretty quiet about most of it. So I'm thinking that it's pretty legit, to be honest. Um, uh, I, it, it, it makes plausible sense. You know, um, Michael Bean and Sigourney Weaver are only getting older. Um, time is of an essence. Not that they're, you know, they're not in their deathbed by any means. They're not old people. They're older people for sure. Um, but they've, you know, if they don't start production soon, Sigourney Weaver might be 67 um, by the time they do. And I think that's pushing it for her. Um, I think she looks great. Um, I'm not an ageist at all. I think if she can bring it, she'll, she, she'll bring it. Um, but I think time is of an essence with them and because of their age. Um, not even so much their age, um, but I just think that they probably want to jump on this. Um, but so yeah, I, I I would agree with you on that one because, like you said, they're only going to be getting older. Just yeah. like Alien itself is going to be getting older. Yeah. But but I think that would be a perfect why not opportunity to just go back one last time um, for them, especially because I know the last big thing Michael Bean did, um, he did um, some great voice acting in uh, Far Cry Blood Dragon, which is this video game. And it's a open world game that's a total trope on every single 1980 stereotype. And really, all that. interesting. Oh, it's it's amazing. Um, and then he did the voiceover work for Hicks and Colonial Marines, a game which I am not fond of and and all that. But we've been over that. Yeah. Um, and he said he really didn't like that. Um, he, he did not like what they did with Colonial Marines and his involvement with it. So, I mean, it's it's really interesting to see him just kind of be like, okay, well, I'll give it one more shot um, if this is true that he is back, which I surely hope he is. Well, and I mean, again, um, there was the initial um, questions that were posed to him. And I think we discussed this a little bit where he was at a convention and someone said, hey, are you are you going to do this? And he goes, it looks like it. And then um, he had he had said he confirmed that he was contacted uh, by Fox or someone involved and that. He was essentially doing it. I mean, he, you know, he's in the, he's, he's in all the, uh, those, uh, li- the, um, what do you call it? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blanking on this right now. Uh, Neil Blomkamp's, uh, conceptual art. He was in there. So it's obvious that he's in the film. Um, and uh, it's all been but officially confirmed. Um, it would make very little sense to me, um, for somebody who's in the concept art, who's, the, the hot topic of fans who's being reported by many media outlets that he's involved for him not to be. Yeah. You know, like, but it kind of goes back to the whole concept art thing. Like, why would Neil post this concept art if he had no intention of doing anything with it? Yeah. So I, my, my take on that is that it's just, um, it, it was a ploy to get attention be like, oh, you know, let me see if people are interested in this and if they are, and that means I can go further with my ideas. And I would have bet money that he probably approached Fox way before he leaked that 
that material. And Fox was like, well, hey, let's leak this and see what happens. See the, see the, um, the, the response that we get. I mean, obviously, the, as we both of us know and everyone knows, the response was explosive. It was like, what the fuck is this? You know, like, that's yeah, Bix. Really, you know? really cool. Yeah, and uh, I, I can't even, I would love to see, I, would, I don't know how you would gauge that, but just to see the response um, that uh, Fox gave, like, to see everything, like, how many people responded to it, because it was, of course, trending on the internet and Instagram and everything. Um, so to me, I, I, I agree with you. I think that it was a bit of a ploy. Um, I think that this was probably the the green light was dependent on the response that uh, he got by leaking these. You don't leak. I'm sure Neil Blum. I mean, although although I will say Neil Blumkamp said in an interview, uh, a video interview, he goes, you know, really, I just I didn't leak these things to make this film. I really just wanted to show people what some an idea that I had. So I can't, you know, I have to take him at his word too. You know, I don't want to call him a liar or anything. I. Um, but it all just seems to be working out so perfectly. Right. So it really gives me a lot of hope. Oh, yeah. Um, and then another thing, uh, what, what was it saying? Uh, that Empire interview that we both read. Yes, it, yes. That was great. That was some great tidbits. I mean, he said that they he confirmed that it will not be called Alien 5 and that he has his own title. Um, and that he said... But he, a, can't, he can't say it because it'll give too much away. Yeah, which, oh, I'm just trying to think of what that title would be. I mean, I, I've really been thinking about how you would title an alien film. Um, I mean, if it's going to give something away, then it'll probably be like Alien... The return, not the return, but you know what I mean. Something that gives Alien you vengeance or something. something that gives you a sense of where this film is going. You know, right? Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I I've been thinking actually quite a bit how you would um, what you would title this next Alien film that is a strong title because you have Alien and Aliens. Those are two of the strongest titles in in the um, the saga. And Alien Three, to me, as much as I love Alien Three. Um, they, they're just like, we're like, oh, let's call it Alien 3, you know, um, which I thought wasn't really that creative. And we will not talk about Resurrection. We'll no. save the, <laughs> we'll save the hot air for that. Yeah. One. Um, and, uh, but at the same time though, Alien Resurrection, the title, you know, the subtitle Resurrection, it, it gave clues to what the film was about. Resurrecting Ripley, resurrecting a franchise, resurrecting the alien. And um, failing every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In theaters this Friday. <laughs> yeah, but we we just we were just, you know I made the post on our uh, Facebook page about how much promise Alien Resurrection um, showed, and I remember when I was I was working at a movie theater back when that trailer was shown, um, and of course this was when there were projectionists at movie theaters, and mm -hmm. I remember sitting in the theater when they showed the teaser trailer with that da -da 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 -da, that music and the whole theater erupted i mean people were like yeah i mean it was awesome it was so <laughs> exciting and i was probably back then um probably my age yeah i was about 21 tw yeah yeah about 21 probably um and it was just great and i had a, the posters on my wall and i you know i'd i had read this a version of the script and I was really, really excited about it. And I think at that point for myself, only speaking for myself, cause I think um, people your age are far more savvy than I was at, when I was your age um, these days. But I really, um, I, I convinced myself that I really liked the film, but and I, well, I tried to, I saw it seven times. Um, so, I mean, but I think 
re-engaging that world again, not, and we're not going back to our Ripley 8, we're going back to the Ripley, the Ripley from the Nostromo, the Ripley from, you know, the Sulaco, you know, um, that's just really, really an exciting thing, and, uh, so she's re-engaging the original, um, and Neil uh, really, really wants to do the fans a service and express himself as an artist and director and a fan, especially, of his idea of what the true sequel to Alien should have been, while at the same time giving nods and respecting the canon of Alien 3 and Resurrection. Yeah. Um, Which I think is going to be difficult to pull off, but I have faith that he can do it. Oh, I do too. I do too. And we, we should mention too that in the Empire interview, and I think it was longer than the snippets that we've seen um, or we've read that's been out there. I guess there's a longer interview, so it should be interesting. Maybe those were the highlights of it. But um, in the Empire clips that we read, he uh, Neil Blumkamp also said that uh, he had to change a couple of things in the plot so that they wouldn't kind of... Step on the toes yes. of Prometheus too. Yeah, yeah. So that that raises some even further questions, because um, Prometheus two should be pretty interesting. And I know Prometheus polarizes a lot of fans. It's like Resurrection, but not as bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it it definitely raises some new questions because that that implies to me that there's going to be this really pivotal franchise changing moment in Prometheus 2 yeah. that um, would have to retroactively um, destroy the ideas that Bloomcamp wanted to do for Alien, his, his Alien film. Um, Maybe. He said small, though, in his quote, the quotes of him. He said small changes. So I don't, and at the same time, I think about Par- Prometheus 2, which a lot of people think is going to be called Paradise, by the way. Um, th- she's going off to the engineer homeworld. So I can't imagine what, and maybe it's something in the alien life cycle. Who knows? I, I don't really know. But I, I can't imagine if, if Shaw is off in the alien homeworld or the engineer homeworld in Prometheus 2. I can't imagine that it would be too much of a change that Bloomkamp would have to make, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. But on that same token, I mean, it's anybody's game at this point. Um, there's there's a lot of unexplored concepts within the universe. I mean, just reading through old interviews with Ridley and uh, Dan O'Bannon and just everybody involved in the series, um, there's definitely a lot of things that they haven't touched up on, like the uh, alien life cycle especially and i think we mentioned in one of our personal conversations about um how the big chap was a toddler in an unfamiliar environment that resorted to killing out of instinct and i think it was dan o'bannon in an interview in the 70s who said um, he pictured the alien being a part of this advanced uh highly intelligent race that uh had a very artistic society. And I know that sounds crazy, like, oh, my God, an alien with an ability to reason. But um, I'd like to see more about the alien life cycle um, because Prometheus didn't cut it for me at the end, especially. Yeah, yeah. I I, I would agree. And to be honest, and I I don't know if we mentioned this in a podcast, like maybe we did, but I'm not interested in the alien creature 
I'm not interested in exploring the psyche of the alien creature. It's a MacGuffin. They're there to serve a purpose. They're there to represent fear. Um, fear of facing our own fears and fear of the unknown. And um, it, They're there to kind of service the characters to either find their humanity or to reject their humanity. And a la Burke in Aliens. Um, he, he was kind of using the creatures to lose his humanity. Um, and I, I, I just, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested. I, I, like you said, I'm interested in, uh, the alien life cycle. What, you know, how many cycles do they have? How many, how do they work? You know, exploring egg morphing, um, really. Oh, I would love to see that. Yeah. I bet you money. We will. I bet money that we'll see egg morphing and I, 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 I which is, you know, uh, I, I think is um, it, it's essentially canon because it's been shown and people have seen it. Um, and it's, those are it's in the novels. It's it's continually referenced. So I I would also say it'd be safe to bet that some form of egg morphing or a new stage in the alien life cycle will be elaborated on, mm-hmm. or just the whole full circle will be um, more detailed. As the franchise goes on, yeah. Um, so, though, though, you know, and I, I, I mentioned today, you know, right before we started uh, recording, on Wayland, on the Wayland Yutani Bulletin, that I'm really sick of the seeing seeing the alien creature, and I really am. I mean, like, I, I love the communities that we're involved with. I love the the groups. I love the discussions. But if I have to see another photo of the alien, I, I I'm just which it's part and parcel for. The, the communities that we're in, people, a lot of people like the alien and they want to show photos, and I, that's fine. But I'm just, I, that's just not what the series is about for me. It, it's got a lot of psychological things for me that interest me. The, the psychology of Ripley um, and right. um, getting into her head and what she might be going through, and now Hicks and just the world. And there's so many more things that, we'll, like we discussed in the alien aesthetic episode that we did, there's mm-hmm. so much more that feeds into. Um, the alien culture than the alien itself. The alien which itself, which I is, think is, which I think is crazy, because Alien in itself was just conceived as like a movie that was going to fail. It was destined to fail from the start, mm-hmm. and in spite of that, they put so much detail and depth and just atmosphere into something that the producers didn't even have any faith on. Essentially, yeah. Yep. The only reason um, they put it out at that time is because Fox needed a film in between Star Wars, and so they pushed the release date around May, May 25th to be exact, because that's when the original Star Wars came out, and they needed something to coattail on the success of that. Yeah. So they wanted to fill up the void of cinema, uh, bookending the 1980s with science fiction. Yeah. And Alien fit that bill, and that's that's why. Otherwise, you know, they didn't have much faith in it, which is what I've gathered from interviews. Yeah, and it, of course, when it premiered, it, you know, changed cinema. It changed the way films were made. Um, it, 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 up, it, it moved the bar up to what, what could be plausible scary alien creatures, and there's not been one since. Um, and also, Alien and Aliens... Um, there were very dark films too, and I just don't mean in terms of energy, but visually they were dark. Um, the alien was in the shadow. You didn't see a lot of the alien creature, even in Aliens. I mean, the most you saw was the Queen, and then, but for most of the film, it's these quick shots of the alien creature, um, which was done flawlessly. I've mentioned before by James Cameron. They really 
retained that that animalistic bug-like mentality which makes them scary you know um yeah th- the hive mind is definitely scary yeah and that scene where um they're trying to figure out um when the aliens are coming in and they think you know they're, they're like hudson you know they're like you're reading the thing wrong they're like no man they're everywhere and then hicks looks up and then he looks up through the the ceiling and you just see them crawling there like roaches that's still scary to me that oh yeah uh and i think that's a if Bloomkamp's going to be successful, he's going to have to make that alien scary, and that's a hard. It's that's a, 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 a those are big britches to fill, um, especially because we see it every day. Right, and uh, I think um, with the recent news that um, Bloomkamp has tapped uh, Ridley Scott to be the executive producer on uh, his alien film. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's official or not, but I remember seeing a couple links to that. I did not get the chance to look at it, but I think that will be interesting. But as I stated earlier, the elephant in the room is definitely ADI doing the special effects for the new aliens. So let's talk about that. Okay. What do you think? Um, I know this is going to polarize lots of people, but I really enjoyed the work that ADI did on uh, aliens and on Alien 3, yeah. in spite of um, the lackluster special effects for most of Alien 3. yeah, I did not like how they almost turned the alien into a velociraptor. Um, and how shitty the films were notwithstanding, I did think their uh, creature design for the AVP films uh, was pretty good. I would agree. Um, with the Predators especially. I would agree. I would agree with you there. Um, in fact, I think Alien AVP Requiem had the best-looking creatures, um, and they looked the most like the James Cameron version of the creature. And I, I yeah, I, I've had, I've been really um, snarky about ADI, um, and I for a long, 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 long time. And I think seeing the beauty of the big chap from Alien, and then. Um, Stan Winston. We're definitely, uh, as fans, I'd say we're definitely spoiled. Yeah, by the big chap. We are. And, uh, thrones. But if you look but, at the big chap, though, you look at how he's constructed. You can see the the tubing, the, the sinew. The, the it's sleek. It's gorgeous. It looks like um, the the original designs of the creature. Whereas then you get to Alien Resurrection. Even AVP, they looked good, but they still had that muddy look. Um, yeah, they're just really washed out, dark shades of yeah. nothing that should not exist. Yeah. Um, uh, all in all, though, um, I think that um, Big Chap and the drones are awesome creature designs. And then moving forward, I think they kind of lost touch with that because they they kind of just homogenized and trivialized everything that H.R. Giger made about the alien itself because Big Chap, you can you can tell that's a man in the suit, but that's why it looks biomechanical because it's this perfect organism, name drop, of, <laughs> uh, it's this perfect organism comprised of man, machine, and insect. And then down along the line, it just turns into like dinosaurs, yeah, yeah, when they give him those kind of deer-like feet or those kind of typical animal feet where, the, you know, their their feet are kind of, you know, their legs are kind of, they kind of go back like dinosaurs or deer or 
uh, you know, werewolves or whatever. Bipedal animals. Yeah, bipedal animals, for sure. And to me, it just starts looking like everything else. And like you said, I think the the terror of the first creature is that it is very human-like um, in its stance um, because it's taken over the basic form of, you know, it, you know, as it's gestating, it's, you know, getting its almost genetic coding and how it's going to form itself from the human. So it doesn't even make sense that all of a sudden they'd, they'd have this bipedal look by alien resurrection. Um, it doesn't, uh, keep it, keep it um, a man in a suit, but don't keep it a man in a suit, AKA Tom Woodruff Jr. Keep it a man in a suit, um, Bolaji, whatever that guy's name was, who was the, in the big chap suit. Who was oh yeah. Like, uh, Balaji Badejo or Badejo or whatever the yeah. uh, African fellow. Yeah, I mean, who was what over seven foot tall or or someone I, I like? I say he was like seven four. Yeah, or someone like Ian White who played an engineer, um, and he's certainly bulkier in terms of you know he you could tell he um, lifts weights and everything, but Ian White I think was seven seven or something. But put put that. That that creature suit on someone who can sell it. I mean, one of the beautiful things about Prometheus in terms of creature design were the engineers, and how obviously they were very human, but they were not human at all. Um, like I bought the engineers hook, line, and sinker. The engineers are one of the most iconic things I've seen in sci-fi in a long, long, long time, and that's what keeps me going back to Prometheus um, because I think they did that so well and they captured it so well. Um, what do you think? Um, I thought the engineer was a nice nod to the original space jockey, and it's just kind of like um, it's kind of like how new cars are throwbacks to the old ones. Like the new Mustang looks really cool and it performs really great, um, but it's not the classic Mustang. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's not the Mustang that was created initially, mm-hmm. and. Um, the new Mustang is beautiful. It's great. It's really grown on me, but it's not the original, and it will never live up to uh, what the original was and how great it was. So I think that's where a lot of disconnect happens um, with fans, especially because Space Jockey in Alien is like this eight-foot-tall, ginormous, elephant-looking thing yeah. that is like essentially grown into this chair. And then by the time Prometheus rolls around, it's like, okay, this guy's like seven something, and he looks like um, he looks like something out of a Deant Ward music video. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand the um, the dissatisfaction with the engineer, and I think you have to kind of, or I separate the 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 expectation of the engineer. Um, and what that space jockey was supposed to be. And then years, 30-something years later, Ridley Scott says, oh, no, it's a man in a suit. Um, but there, that's been a long time to gestate, excuse the pun, um, in the minds of fans as to what that space jockey is. Part of it's mystery. And that's, again, that's kind of the, the difficulty that Prometheus had was it, it kind of went a little George Lucas and it took the mystery out of this space jockey and it, it kind of it answered some questions about what it was but it didn't answer them to 
It raised a lot of new questions. It did, and it wasn't a very satisfying answer for a lot of people. Now, for me, I was fine with it. I was fine with the engineers. The engineers were so well made. Uh, the design of them were so beautiful. Um, the language, the um, it, it was just really well executed that I thought, okay, I'm fine with it being that. Um, but then if you go to Alien, clearly that's not an engineer in a suit. It is. It is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what sets Alien apart from Prometheus, not to get too wildly off uh, off track. Yeah. But um, Prometheus has the Deacon and the Engineer, and Alien has the Space Jockey and the Xenomorph. Yeah. So um, take be that as it may, I think both designs are interesting, and I can respect them for what they are. But it's just hard to live up to what Alien presented and retcon that and just say, oh, yeah, it was just this humanoid-looking thing in a suit. Yeah, yeah, you're that right. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, and really, I don't even know. I mean, it doesn't... I, they made it work when, like you said, not to get too far off into it, but I'm thinking about this scene where the engineer gets into the chair and all the stuff... And all the, and all the stuff kind of wraps around him. So then what about all those other engineers wearing the suit in the hallway. Um, how'd they get it on there if the chair has to put it on them? There was kind of some weird things there. like, And there clearly weren't these eight-foot-tall things. Um, they were shorter than that. They were smaller. I mean, they're obviously bigger than humans. Um, but, yeah, there's some inconsistencies there. And I think it's just that there's a risk that you take when you go and re-engage some of the... You know, what makes great films great Um are the mystery. I mean, the mystery of Deckard from Blade Runner that we're talking about. And I'm going to bring this back around to um, Neil Bloomkamp's Alien, because that's kind of our topic of discussion. But uh, I think Bloomkamp has a task ahead of him um, to re-engage this world and do so in a genuine, genuine way um, that we believe it and that it makes sense and that it doesn't retcon anything that we love. I mean, dealing with Newt, um, that's a big question still. We don't know how he's going to deal with Newt. Um, how he's going to deal with Bishop. Um, Bishop's an android, so you know it's not like you know Bishop would die in cryo sleep. All you got to do is hook him back up, you know. Um, and that that I, I'm just really, really, really interested. And it's again, it's a monumental task that he has, and I I, I don't wish that task on. Um, anyone um, and he he's going to be up against a lot of fan expectation um, so we'll see yeah but I, I have a lot of faith um, even even given the poor track record of not only Alien or Predator branded franchises in the past 20 years or so or even um, Bloomcamp's hit or miss abilities with films yeah um, I think it's going to be, at worst, a solid film. Like a 6 or 7 out of 10. I would agree. worst. Yeah. And you know, I almost, what gives me hope, I'm sort of glad that Bloomkamp is not universally loved. I'm glad that, I mean, I loved Chappie. Uh, I thought it was a really great film. It's not hardcore sci-fi. It's very um, surface-level sci-fi. But there's some great questions that Chappie asks. Um, but it almost seems like it's Providence, that he's this kind of struggling filmmaker who isn't universally loved. Everybody loved District 9. A lot of people didn't like Elysium. I'm included. I'm included in that, um, just because I think the story really didn't work that well. But I think he's almost the best person. Because you look at 
Um, but he's also he he takes he understands what humble pie is too. He understands that he isn't perfect. Um, and we've discussed this before that that's somebody that I want in in, uh, in charge, someone that can hear from other people, um, and hear their hey, this is what I think. I mean, he he talked about. Um, working on um, Chappie in post-production and talking about uh, with Sigourney Weaver about making Aliens and Alien and how that was. And she kind of helped him um, flush out. Because originally he said that he came up with an idea for his Alien film that didn't involve her. And then they started talking, and then he realized he could involve her. Well, I know she's, I know she's wanted to do something Alien-related again for a while. But she's had uh, previous engagements with the three, two or three back-to-back Avatar films yeah. that they're going to be filming and releasing, um, which I think is going to tie her up pretty good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Which yeah. The, the new Alien sh- should be pretty good. But what you were saying, um, you you were mentioning how this is a this is a director who's not just gonna say, okay, well, this is my film. He's going to take in the ideas of what the fans want and what the cast and crew want. Maybe um, not even so much what the fans want. I think he's he's sensitive. I think he's just not full of himself, and I think... Um, right, this is somebody who's going to take into account uh, the ideas of other people Yeah. because great minds share great ideas. They don't just talk about other people. Yeah. So I think he can really capitalize on that. So he's got a lot of room to succeed, but there's plenty of ways he can fail. Yeah. But I'm sure that he can pull it off. And he's a lot like James Cameron was back when before James Cameron really hit it big. I mean, James Cameron had done some films. Some you know, Terminator was very successful, but it wasn't hugely successful. Um, he you know, and then uh, James Cameron also did Piranha Two, I believe. That was his uh, first film. Yeah. He was uh, fired rehired, fired again, rehired like four or five times on Piranha 2 because I I believe he just originally started as a special effects director yeah, like for a B unit or something and then the director kind of said, well, fuck it and then he stepped in and then made it his film Um, but I know Terminator 2 or Terminator, excuse me, Terminator was the uh, first film that he directed fully Yeah, and then he did Terminator, and then he did Aliens, and even when he did Aliens, Aliens I think only grossed eighty-eight million dollars, um, and when it was released, which back then was huge amounts of money, um, and uh, surprisingly, the most successful Alien film to date is Alien Resurrection, if you can believe it. Um, it's made the most money of any film in the Alien saga. Well, uh, time to go drink some bleach. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, I I think it Alien Resurrection um, did more overseas than it did. It still made Fox money, which is why Fox, I believe Fox is always willing to go back because they've made money off these films. Even Alien 3 made a profit. It, Alien 3 made like um, around $50 million in profit, which still, again, it, it, it made back its budget and it made profit. Um, so these films are profitable for Fox. Um but I, this is just, it, it's a big risk that Bloomcamp is taking um, to kind of re-enter the world, not as we left it, but as James Cameron left it. Um, right. And I, I am all for risk-taking. I, I think that that's when great art is born, um, when you're like, you kind of say, hey, no, I want to do something a little bit different. And, you know, the truth is, David Fincher did the same thing. Now, it wasn't to great effect, um, but as you get, as the years pass by, 
I hear more people say how much they loved Alien 3. Of course, there are people who say they don't like it still. They think it's terrible. But more people now view Alien 3 as a very worthy sequel um, the further away they get from it, which I think is very interesting. Much like Blade Runner. Um, when Blade Runner came out, it was very universally panned. It didn't do well. And then, you know, 30-something years later, it's one of, it's considered the best science fiction of all time, essentially. Well, I, I think a lot of that has to deal with the fact that um, when you bring so many new ideas to the table or just so many new cinem- cinematic concepts, um, it's, it's really hard for the audience or critics to swallow, especially because uh, Blade Runner just centers around humans versus humanity and man versus machine especially. Um, and that's, that was a pretty, uh, pretty heavy concept to probably wrap your head around in 1982. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that in uh, 30 years... 35 years or so people are going to be uh you know dealing with fugitive androids and and spinners floating cars and uh everybody goes to the club but uh <laughs> um it, there were there were a lot of uh, deep concepts that i think a lot of people just kind of brushed off for face value because while blade runner is ostensibly an, an action film there's a lot of drama and uh, you think it's a thriller. You think it's an action film? I, I really, I don't see it as that. I feel like it's has more. Maybe that's how it was sold. Um, but I feel that, like yeah, that's how it's sold. And I think one of the reasons why it failed to really achieve success in the box office is because um, oh, this was an action film, and then it's like okay, Harrison Ford and Sean Young are falling in love. Yeah, yeah. What is going on here? Yeah. So which brings us uh, back to Aliens. Um, James Cameron's Aliens, which then will bring me back to Bloom Camp. Um, if you think about Aliens, I mean, really, it was real quiet for a large part of the film. I mean, it dealt with Ripley's drama and her waking up and her nightmares and her being terrorized by, you know, her the flash of her experience on the Nostromo. Um, and it was really a look into her head. Um, and to me, that's why I watched Aliens over and over and over. It was for Ripley, um, because I connected with Ripley, and um, and Sigourney Weaver just sold the role so so well. Um, so I think Bloomkamp, if he's going to be successful, and I, we talked about this before, um, my, maybe even on our first podcast, but um, in terms of no more Colonial Marines, he's really got to explore. The human element, the drama, which I don't know the if company. you. But if you look at uh, Bloomkamp's track record for District Nine, District Nine really is it is a human drama, and of course it's a statement on race relations in South Africa, um, and I think he's just the right man for the job. Um, now, hopefully, he doesn't use CGI for the alien creature. I really hope he goes practical. The CGI in District Nine looked great, and it I, it works, and it's 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 a really really well made film, and I love it. But I would rather I really want to see practical aliens on set. I think that'd be interesting to see. Um, so more of hearkening back to oh, this is a man in a suit. Well, um, I mean, back in the day, people used to say oh, it's just a man in a suit, and then they'd be like, we want more CGI. Now the tables have turned. And yeah. It's, oh, CGI. I want a man in a suit. So you really can't please everybody, but I think practical effects would be the way to go. Yeah. Much like um, like they did in Aliens or Alien, where they just didn't really rely on special effects. And I think if he wanted to do a true service to the fans and the franchise, that uh, the space sequences would rely very little on um, 
CGI and just go with physical models and props and just the camera tricks. I think that would be very, very cool. I think it would be cool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones is, um, what's his name's son? Um, uh, Labyrinth. Um, David Bowie. Duncan Jones is David Bowie's son. And Duncan, oh, yeah. Duncan Jones directed a fantastic documentary or uh, film called Moon. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just going to bring that up. That is a good film. It's an amazing film. I'm surprised we didn't even talk about it last time. But Duncan Jones used a lot of miniatures. He used a lot of um, sets from, or, or, or uh, um, uh, techniques from old school, like miniatures, like shooting miniatures um, that are automated rolling. And he really captured um, this great feel, this really epic quality to his film. And I would love it if Bloomcamp utilize that same thing and say hey no 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 i know that there's digital but let's make models let's make models automated and let's film them let's use the same techniques that james cameron and ridley scott use to tell this film um because those techniques are what made that film like for instance when when the dropship is coming in initially before you know with all the marines the, when they're first coming to the planet they strung that model up on a line and they turned it up and the and the line flew through like this fog machine and they filmed it. And that's how they got that epic, epic, awesome... I mean, that was in real time, real space. Um, and you can't beat that. I'm not saying to totally abandon CGI, because I think CGI is necessary to some extent, but not overkill. Like, oh, Transformers, yeah, yeah. everything, CGI, or Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Um, I think if we went back to like physical sets and practical effects, like even on Star Wars 7... I think there's there's very little emphasis on uh, CGI. Like they're going with actual sets, actual characters and costumes, um, real props and things like that. And I think that'll be a great service to the fans because what I think makes Star Wars age so gracefully is just how well they did their cinema tricks back in the day. Like I mean, talk about cutting edge in 1977 doing the Death Star trench run. Like hello, yeah. you know, do something like that. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really, really cool. Mm -hmm. With with uh, like a modern spin on practical effects, yeah. like Harbinger Downs doing. Yeah, yeah. If anybody doesn't know what Harbinger Down it Harbinger, Harbinger Down, it's directed by Tom Woodruff Jr. and it's a really an all practical creature creature feature. And ADI is doing the creature work on yeah. that, and I must say, it looks very awesome. And it stars Lance Henriksen, who is Bishop in Aliens and Alien 3. Um, yeah, it looks very, very interesting. I, I've been following Harbinger Down for a while, um, and I actually was a little bit concerned that they just wanted to make her... I've seen the trailers, and it looks really intriguing, but it looks like The Thing, essentially. Yeah, um, and that I don't have an issue with, because there's very little that explores a lot of the concepts that The Thing touched up on. Yeah. But um, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited for it to come out this fall. I know they said they're talking with their distributors now. Because as far as I know, the film is done. Okay. But they're, uh, they're talking to distributors, and they said they can't release it on Blu-ray until it gets approved for worldwide um, screenings. Even however limited it is, from one theater to 100, um, they're going to wait until everybody gets to see it before they release it on Blu-ray and digital hd and all that so i mean all in all i think it's going to be fairly good yeah i i, I would agree with you i think uh, i think it'll be a great ride um and uh, entirely practical effects yeah that's that's awesome i mean and i think what's happening too even in in filmmaking 
people of my generation are starting to kind of take control of studio systems. Um, and a lot of this return to practical effects are because of people like myself. Well, obviously not like me, but people who are around my age who grew up in the 80s, the time of practical effects. Um, they're wanting to, they realize that what made these films great um, in part was the, the fact that you know you had actors and actresses working in the same space as these puppets or animatronics or whatever, all these kinds of effects. Now, I would agree with you. I think that some CG is needed. I don't think that they should abandon it. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, everything has to service the story. If the story isn't any good, um, it's going to exacerbate the effects. If It doesn't matter. Like, for instance, Prometheus. Beautiful film. Flawless. Uh, you know, practical sets, a lot of practical effects, some CGI, obviously in space, and a couple, you know, a few things. Beautiful, flawless film visually. What made that movie not a success wasn't the effects; it was the story, it was the dialogue, it was the characters. Um, so I think that's the line that uh, Bloomcamp is going to have to tread. But I, 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 keep, I agree with you what you said earlier. I mean, I that. At, at the very least, it'll probably be a solid film. Um, so we'll see. Right. But, I mean, a lot of uh, ADI's work on Harbinger Down, I think especially, is going to give the public some insight into what they're capable of on uh, a larger scale for even something like uh, Alien, Neil Bloomkamp's Alien. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to see because everything in um, Harbinger Down is totally practical effects, nothing CGI. And they're really, uh, that's that's the mantra over there, that nothing is CGI, it's all practical. Hmm. So, um, which is kind of kind of ironic because we brought up, oh yeah, let's let's make Alien practical again. And then, oh yeah, it turns out Harbinger Downs, all practical. Yeah. So that was a nice, uh, that was a nice unintentional segue. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really, 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 really will be interesting to see what comes out of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just can't wait. I really can't. I mean, I can't wait till they start really making some official announcements because, like what we were saying before, I think that they're probably going to roll on this film real, real quickly. And if Bloomcamp, what Bloomcamp said was right, um, I don't know if any everybody caught this, but a couple weeks back, he was being interviewed, and they someone asked him when the film was going to start, and he goes, "Oh, it looks like we're going to start pre-production next week." Pre-production's a pretty big deal, um, so and typically. Films, Not to be taken lightly. Yeah, and films lie in pre-production for about six months, at the at the longer end of things. So they're getting this together. And I, like you were saying earlier about uh, Sigourney Weaver's involvement with the Avatar films, she probably has a window right now. Um, and I know that they're not going to start shooting Avatar sequels until next year sometime or the fall of this year or something like that. So she probably has a window where she can kind of go and. Um, film this alien film so but yeah, it's yeah i can't wait i am really excited too well i'd say that about wraps it up for this episode though i would agree thanks everybody for listening again thank you for all your support and your feedback let's rock